This Slate TV Club podcast is sponsored by the new ABC series, American Crime. This March, one crime will affect so many lives. From the Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave comes the year's most extraordinary drama. Don't miss American Crime, premiering Thursday, March 5th, 10-9 Central on ABC. Slate Plus members get early access to our TV Club podcasts about Better Call Saul immediately following the broadcast on AMC. If you're not a Slate Plus member and you want early access, sign up at slate.com slash Plus. The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of Better Call Saul we're discussing before you listen to this podcast. Lights start a blank and those handcuffs click. You know who to call and you better call quick. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. You fight for your rights when your back's to the wall. Stick it to the man, justice for all. You better call Saul. Hello and welcome to Slate's TV Club podcast about Better Call Saul, the new AMC drama inspired by the series Breaking Bad. I'm June Thomas of Slate's Outward blog and I'm in the New York studio talking to a man in the the city of ice known as Boston, Seth Stevenson. Seth, how are you? I'm good, June. I can't believe you're there in the studio amid all that electric humming. <laughs> I can't. I couldn't. That's why I've been staying away these past two weeks. I can't stand the fluorescent lights, all the studio mics, all those batteries. How can you do it? Well, it's okay though, because I grounded myself first. Well, good. I'm underneath. I'm in an igloo. I've I've fashioned an igloo out of all the ice we have here in Boston, it, and uh, I'm underneath that. So it must be gigantic. Uh, just before we go on, a reminder that Slate Plus members get early access to these podcasts, which are posted right after the AMC broadcast concludes at 11 p.m. Eastern Time on Mondays. And if you're not a member and want to hear these episodes right away, sign up at slate.com/slash/solplus. Now, today we're going to talk about. Episode 5, which was called Alpine Shepherd Boy. Um, We're going to get quickly to a clip, but I just wanted to say this feels like the most frustrating title ever because early signs said that it was going to be called Jello. It clearly should have been called Jello based on the naming convention thus far uh, and what comes after. Um, And I am guessing, I, I wrote to AMC to ask. You know, was there some complaint from the Jello people? I didn't hear back from them in time for this podcast, but it sure seems like that's what happened, right? Oh, that's a good guess. Yeah, I was wondering also because, as we know, every episode has had a two-syllable title ending in O, uh, with Hero and Nacho and Uno and, and Miko. And uh, this one, you know, we thought it was going to be called Jello, and then it was called Alpine Shepherd Boy. And you're right; it must have been some sort of like corporate cold feet uh, about an, using a name brand product in the in, in the title because it should have been because we we know that uh, Jimmy brings Jello to his elder law. Right. Uh, gambit right, exactly. is to bring Jello to the senior citizens' home, and and I, you know, I had thought before you mentioned that I had wondered if maybe they just decided, oh, we're not going to be able to keep up this convention and use and and do this every time, so let's just get out of it now before we go it much further. But you're right; I bet it was some sort of trademark, trademark fear, right? Um, and it's and it's a lovely concept because obviously Saul's slash Jimmy's attempts to drum, drum up business are a big theme. You know, we've seen his matchboxes. We saw on, on, the, on the opening uh, titles, the buzz sign. Um, and we saw him in that first episode in the cold open looking back at his old ads. So that's clearly something that really resonates for Jimmy. But it was well, we, they weren't able to use it. Anyway, let's get to a clip. Last week, Jimmy did his big gambit. He saved a guy from falling off a billboard, which was actually an elaborate setup. And this week, we saw the fallout from that, which was mostly terrible, either a tragedy or a near tragedy for Chuck and a lot of really terrible time-wasting clients for Jimmy. 
except for this lovely lady who was all about the Alpine Shepherd Boy and other Hummel figures. She had Jimmy come and draw up a will for her and she even paid him. And here we hear them discussing, uh, well, discussing life and law and the kinds of people who become lawyers. Now, the shepherd boy Hummel, that's going to go to your nephew Clarence? As long as he finishes college. If he drops out, it goes to my niece Raylene. But then Raylene doesn't get the girl. The girl with the geese. Mm. Yeah, no, then that would go to your cousin Helen, Mm -hmm. so long as she never remarries Frederick? Exactly. Yeah. And no matter what, I want the toe-headed twins to go to Reverend Lawrence's grandson. Um, Don't you mean Reverend Haynes? Is Reverend Lawrence's grandson is going to get the uh, lute-playing angel because he was in the choir. Very sharp, Mr. McGill. And here I thought all lawyers were idiots. Huh. No, only half of us are idiots. The other half are crooks. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you a spicy one? Well, if I were 40 years younger, I'd have you buy me a piña colada. Well, if you want me to drop a DNR, I'll bring a blender and some pineapple. <laughs> Well, June, when I die, you can have um, my figurine of a small blonde girl playing a lute. I would like you to have that. I've chosen that specifically for you. Because of my Um, singing voice? um, Yeah, that's part of it. But, you know, it's contingent on you agreeing with me that this episode was not a total success. Uh, Do you agree? I actually like this episode very much. It was maybe my favorite of the season thus far. There goes my my lyre-playing Kummel figure. I just smashed it against the wall into a million pieces. <laughs> so, you know, here is not that I thought this was a terrible episode, but, you know, I, you had said earlier that um, the, this show was originally conceived as a 30 minute sitcom, a comedy. Um, and this was the episode where I felt that most strongly. Like, I felt this episode really might have worked as a half hour comedy. There was a lot of opportunity for humor, but stretched out to an hour, it felt like not a ton happened. But now, we did have a lot of great character development. That is for sure. We learned a lot more about Mike's backstory. We learned a lot more about Chuck and what it was that was ailing him. Um, and I do like spending time with these characters, particularly like spending time with Jimmy and Kim together in the nail salon. I really like those scenes. I think they have a really nice, warm rapport. Mm-hmm. But, you know, not a ton happened. And I thought, you know, I wondered for people who've been watching the show who are huge fans of Breaking Bad, and that's why they're watching this show. This episode was not like any episode of Breaking Bad that I can think of. Um, if, you know, if you came to Better Call Saul expecting more of the Walter White shenanigans, you know, this episode didn't have a lot of strategy in the service of evil. It did not have a lot of surprises uh, and violence, and it did not have uh, a ton of, you know, didn't have a fun musical number uh, montage uh, of criminality. Uh, It was missing all those elements. Not a ton happened. It was just sort of people spending time with each other. And not that I don't like that, but um, but I wondered if if this was this this episode might come off as a bit of a snooze to some watchers. Well, I agree with you that if people are watching it strictly for Breaking Bad Resonance, then this would not have, you know, really pleased them probably, wouldn't have serviced their needs. However, I think I have two responses to you. The first is that I think you may be remembering Breaking Bad as having a little more action than it really did. There were some very languorous episodes of Breaking Bad. I think in a way this is, if you want to see it as a downfall, this is, Vince Gilligan's biggest weakness as a showrunner is that often his shows are so 
character focused that there's not a lot happening. I mean, and, and certainly in Breaking Bad, there was also, you know, the creation of the drugs. There was sometimes very dramatic scenes of violence. But I think this show, although it doesn't have that, and although so far the stakes are pretty low, um, the character stuff to me is so lovely. Like this episode had really beautiful, sort of funny little one-offs in a way, just like the appearance of the crazy secessionist and the guy with the sex toilet and the wonderful old sort of flirtatious uh, homo lady with her stair lift and her, uh, you know, her dedication to really dividing up her, her life's possessions fairly. But also, we had some really interesting exploration of Jimmy's character. You know, that old lady said to him, I thought most lawyers were fools. And he said, no, there were only half fools and half the other half are crooks. But in Jimmy's case, he's half a crook. Yes, he is. He is half of a criminal. He certainly has that really deep within him. But he's also half genius, I think. And I think it's almost the worst position to be in, to recognize the scams, to know the tricks that people can pull, and to be trying to do the right thing. And you can see that he is so often trying to do the right thing. And when he does tricks, it really has terrible effects. I mean, we saw that last week's trickery really almost got Chuck put in at psyche Val, you know, he almost was locked up for 30 days to have his head checked out. And it also um, just led to a lot of time wasting for Jimmy. So I saw a lot of development here. I found it very amusing. I thought that whole scene with Howard was really interesting. So I found it really entertaining, much more than other episodes so far. Okay, I hear you, June. Maybe maybe I'll glue back together that Hummel figurine for you. But, <laughs> I, you know, I, I think you're right. I think part of what's going on is that we're still new to these characters. And so they, don't, we, they haven't been quite as richly developed as maybe characters in season four of Breaking Bad had been, where, you know, we really, anything that happened, we had a lot of context for their actions. We're still meeting these people and, mm-hmm. and, and developing these characters. You know, I felt like this episode was one of the first times that we started to actually come away from Jimmy's P.O and where we spent a lot of time just with Mike uh, and we spent a lot yeah. of time just with Chuck um, at the beginnings and the at the beginning and the at the end of the episode whereas previously we it had been Jimmy in every scene and everything was seen through his eyes and you and we are starting to pull away from that now and that is a signal that the characters are starting to develop enough that we can do that there's enough to them we're getting to know them well enough that we can spend time with them in the absence of Jimmy so that is promising and I guess you know uh, the show has to take time to do that in order to pay off down the line. I just, uh, you know, I, I, I hear you. I, I do. And I do really like the characters. And I, I like the way it's going. And I feel like, you know, this maybe is laying some groundwork that really will pay off later in the series. And I just want to take uh, one exception to something you said. You said, you know, we spent some time with Mike learning about his character. To me, unlike Chuck, who we haven't known before, you know, he is a new character to this series, to this show. But Mike, he already exists. We really know him later in life. And we're, I guess what we're trying to do is not get to know him, but get to figure out how this weird, quiet Mike becomes the later menacing, quiet Mike. Um, and yeah, as you said, the, the scene at the end, which was, you know, we suddenly transitioned to a section where, you know, Jimmy drives away from the parking lot. And then it felt to me like the whole mood of the show changed. It was a really, you know, as it got darker and there, uh, Mike was just sitting there in that booth and it was really like scary. And you really felt that this is a guy who has a really, like Jimmy in a way, has a really lonely existence, but 
more so. I mean, he's sitting in a booth. At least um, Jimmy has his nail salon. Um, uh, and it really felt, you know, then when we saw the scene of, of Mike, um, you know, staring at that woman who I suspect is probably Kaylee's mom, his daughter, from whom he appears to be estranged. Uh, I don't believe we ever saw, we saw Kaylee, of course, in Breaking Bad, but I don't believe we ever heard or saw anything about his daughter. Um, but, you know, you had this feeling of Mike as a real lone wolf, whereas Jimmy, I think, is a kind of a lone sheep. Before we move on, let's take time to hear about this week's sponsor. This March, it's time to experience American crime. One offense will send shockwaves through a community like never before, shattering families and igniting a media frenzy in this powerful, thought-provoking and timely series. From the Oscar-winning screenwriter of 12 Years a Slave comes the year's most extraordinary new drama, Felicity Huffman and Timothy Hutton. I just want to point out an Emmy winner and an Oscar winner, star in American Crime. It premieres this Thursday, March 5th at 10, 9 central on ABC. Seth, um, I would love to talk about that scene in the hospital because not only did we get to see Clea Duvall, who's played more lesbians than Terry Polo, so I'm very curious about that character is going to work out, but also I felt like the scene with Howard um, was really key to me where... Jimmy decides that he he knows, again, he knows the angles, he knows the cons, he knows what Howard's doing. He knows that Howard doesn't truly believe Chuck. He's just saying that Chuck is physically ill because that way he gets to keep, you know, taking Chuck's money in a sense. He doesn't have to dissolve the partnership, which Howard knows Jimmy will try to do if he gets to be put in charge of, of Chuck's life in a sense. To me, that moment with Jimmy was just like the first episode of Girls, when we see Hannah take the money that her parents have intended for the housekeeper in the hotel. And so we know now something very deep about Hannah. And we also, well, I know personally, I would never really trusted her after that. To me, that set the kind of person that she is was established right there. And in a way, it feels the same with Jimmy this week. He could have had access to millions of dollars. Uh, if he had pushed to have Chuck committed, which in, you know lots of people were pushing for, it it would may even have been the best thing for him. But Chuck really wanted to go home, and because he's his brother and he loves him and he felt that was the best thing for him, that's what Jimmy did. So to me, that was such a big test of of Jimmy's character, and he really came through as a good person. I think you're right. You know, first of all, it's funny you mentioned girls because I was thinking about if were this actually a 30 minute sitcom, what kind of 30 minute sitcom would it be? And I was trying to imagine it in the mold of an HBO comedy, you know, a 30 minute show like girls, which does have packs in a lot of character development into a 30 minute funny show. And I was trying to imagine what Better Call Saul might look like sort of in the mold of one of those quality HBO comedies and with these quirky characters and oddball jokes playing out. I think it could have worked uh, in that format. Um, But to address what you were saying, yeah, I totally agree. You know, we really Jim, this whole show basically has been about Jimmy figuring out where his lines are, what he'll do, what he won't do. And the idea is this is a guy who's going to maybe 
bend the rules a little bit. He's going to maybe um, work with some unsavory folks. But he does. He always feels, you know, he always is just brought up by this moral underpinning that he has. He can never quite go all the way, even if he sort of wishes he could. He can't quite do it. And so we even saw him try to go 100 percent legit this week when he's he's going to become an elder law specialist. You know, right, right. there's this whole scene where he's bringing Jello. It's kind of sweet. He's bringing Jello to the senior citizens home and he's, you know, he's watching them play Monopoly and, and Canasta or whatever they're doing. He's going around. He's flirting with the with the senior women. And it for, you know, you can see he, he actually I, I love this scene where he watches Matlock right. to take notes on what on what Matlock wears. Yeah. He sketches Matlock's ensemble so that he can copy it and show up the senior citizens center and look like he's, you know, somebody you can trust because you might recognize him as the as Andy Griffith. So I lo- I loved that. And it seemed like he really was thinking, OK, well, this is because Kim had advised him as he gave Kim a loving pedicure. She had said, well, maybe you should do elder law. I feel like it's a growing field. And you see, he's like, well, OK, maybe this is me. He even says it to Mike in the fo- in the parking lot booth. Hey, I'm an elder law guy now. <laughs> That's what I do. And he's like, he's going to he's you feel like he's going to make it work. Um, but he, he, we all we know that this is not, in fact, going to be a show about a right. man who practices elder law. So, you know, it's not going to actually pan out for him. But it is great to watch Jimmy with this with a struggle. And he is such a fundamentally likable guy mm-hmm. and a guy who you feel you can trust or a guy, you know, he whatever happens at some point, the rubber band of his of his moral framework is going to pull taut and snap him back to reality or to at least being a person that, you know, you, you don't have complete contempt for. Absolutely. And we also saw that the mention of elder law kind of perked Chuck up like it gave him it kind of he he was able to throw off the uh, his security blanket uh, space blanket when once Jimmy said, oh, yeah, I'm thinking about going into elder law like that absolutely reassured Chuck that maybe there was hope for his brother. So, you know, you almost get a potential look at what could have been alternative either series or an alternative life for Jimmy. And it makes you it makes me at least all the more curious to find out well what went wrong why didn't he just end up in that white um matlock suit going around the you know the senior centers of albuquerque which must be plentiful uh you know what happened and so it kind of you know gets me all the more uh engaged in finding out you know the the full story so june we are now halfway through this series we're on episode 5 out of out of the planned 10. Mm-hmm. And what do we think so far? We had talked earlier about how we thought maybe this would turn into a procedural because a lot of lawyer shows are procedurals, um, but it, does, it hasn't done that so far. We haven't had a case of the week and uh, it doesn't look like it's going to turn into a procedural on the near, in the near horizon. Um, and, you know, what's going to happen here in our last five shows of the series? What do we think? Are we going to get a new story arc next week that launches up and dominates the second half of the series? Are we going to just continue to have these characters develop? Um, is there going to be some huge crisis in episode eight that is resolved in episode nine and then episode 10 kicks us into season two? What are your thoughts on what's going to happen here in the second half? Well, I'm very happy to say that I don't really know. I mean, I like that this show is so unpredictable. I mean, I really it could be any of the things that you just suggested. I tend to think that the way that these shows tend to work is that things that come up in the last few minutes are picked up again at the beginning and, and they tend to be a little bit surprising or you know something that's going to make us go oh uh, so I imagine that the 
I guess it was uh, you know Mike's old friend from Philadelphia who showed up when all those cops showed up at his door at the very end of episode five. I would imagine that we'll carry on with exploring that in episode six. So maybe we'll get more of Mike's backstory. I think also we'll hear more from Nacho. Uh, you know, that whole sort of feeling of threat that he's watching and he's aware of what's going on with Jimmy, that feels like that's going to pay off. And for me, that's the most exciting thing about this show. It isn't standard. It's kind of a hybrid. It's not like other shows, including not like Breaking Bad. Um, But it is very sprawling. It's got lots of characters. It feels like it respects viewers by kind of, you know, playing back, having a lot of callbacks. I'm much more interested... and sort of excited and compelled by it that I expected to be and that I was in the first couple of episodes. I was a little bit forcing myself to kind of pay close attention in those early episodes. And now I'm genuinely curious and I really want to know what they're going to do. It's kind of it's wrote me in. It's interesting that last week was the week that really sold me on Better Call Saul, and this week appears to be the one that really sold you on Better That's Call right. Saul. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think a, a lot of this... Uh, might be a will they or won't they with Jimmy and Kim, although we I think they we kind of know that they have in right. the past. And we also kind of know that they won't long term. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. So it's an interesting romantic subplot there. And I, I, I'm shipping. I'll admit it. I'm mm-hmm. shipping. I, mm-hmm. I, I'm a big fan of Kim. Of Jim so there's that. Or Kippy. Yeah. Kimmy. <laughs> <laughs> you, I'll let you. I'll let you know that he's naming conventions. I think you're also right to have pinpointed that structural trope that this is going to be a show where there's uh, the 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 middle uh, third of the of uh, the episode might be a lot of talk and character development and sort of loose shoes, baggy pants, having some fun, hanging out with the characters, and then it's going to be that final scene where all, suddenly a lot happens and makes you tune in next week. And so I predict that next week we'll have a lot. We'll spend a lot of time with Mike. Um, figuring out his deal and and the story with his uh, perhaps his estranged daughter, if that indeed was his estranged daughter and his granddaughter, and why he came here from Philadelphia, and not much will happen. And then at the very end of the episode, something huge will happen to kick us into week seven. So right. I think you're right about that. But yeah, I'm hooked. I'm 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 eager to see what happens in the second half here. Seth, it's always so much fun to talk to you because Moxie is in such short supply these days, and you always bring it. June, if I were 40 years younger, I'd let you buy me a pina colada. But you wouldn't be old enough to drink, Seth. Well, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening, everyone, to this Slate TV Club podcast. Join us next time when we'll talk about Better Call Saul, Episode 6, and check out our other recent TV podcasts about Downton Abbey, The Walking Dead, and The Americans. Just go to iTunes.com slash Slate Podcasts. Our producer is Joel Meyer, and our executive producer is Andy Bowers. The Slate TV Club is part of the Panoply Podcast Network, which, if you haven't heard yet, just launched. You can find out more about the network and see all of the shows at itunes.com slash panoply. Bye, Seth. Bye, June.